You're listening to the Sports Bros Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything BYU sports. Now here are your hosts, Andy Karchner, a.k.a. Big Bro, and Aaron Karchner, a.k.a. Little Bro. That's right, it's time for your Sports Bros Podcast. It is Sunday, October 31st, 2021. Uh, the day after the great shootout in Provo. Welcome to the Sports Bros Podcast. My name is Andy Karchner, a.k.a. Big Bro, coming at you from Pacific Northwest. And as always, joined by Aaron Karchner, a.k.a. Lil Bro, for the next couple months, coming at you from Texas. Uh, Texas knows something about shootouts, right? Like the Alamo and all that? Well, you know, the Red River rivalry. Red River Rivalry used Rimble, to be the Rimble, shootout, Rimble, Rimble. but um, we're, we're not allowed to talk about shootouts anymore. And so they had oh. to change it to Rivalry. And now I even think – I think they figured out that people can't say Red River Rivalry. Doesn't, so they change it to Red River Showdown or that something River like rivalry. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I can't say it. It's a River Rivalry. Yeah. So BYU seems to be uh, going to fit right in with the Big 12 with their, their – uh, Track meets, what do you, if we can't call them shootouts, track meets, I guess it's, it's kind of the way of the way of the big 12. Of course, we're talking about BYU versus um, Virginia Broncos, big return to Provo yesterday, October 30th, 2021. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that most people thought this was going to be a shootout, right? I mean, it's kind of like the, the, the obvious, uh, the obvious prediction was a shootout. Uh, at least Virginia's offense was already known to be prolific coming in, and both defenses were known to be pretty suspect coming in. And so I think everyone thought that uh, BYU would have to put up points, you know, to to beat the Hoos. Uh, we're going to talk about the question in a second, but but no, let's talk about it now, and we'll get to that in a second. So let's start off with the big question. Is BYU's offense that good? 66 points against a P5 team, most in school history. Or is the or is UVA's defense really just that bad? Because man, they look bad. I it, it has to be a combination of both, right? I don't yeah, you don't think, score 66 unless both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like even the most prolific offenses out there have a hard time scoring against. Yeah, 45 is a good defense. game. 45 yes, four, is a good 45 game. 45 is an offense. excellent game. Yeah. Well, so for Virginia, six, that's a good half. Yeah. <laughs> It it was yesterday was was the was one of the most the, wacko games I've ever the seen. film that every defensive coordinator needs to throw away and just say no. that or or it's the it's the film that every defensive coordinator says here is exactly what not to do because yeah, both mean, defenses had no idea how to tackle in the first half the second half both of them kind of well at least BYU's shaped it up shorted up um, yeah. so I I think it's a combination of both I think BYU has shown glimpses of what they did last night every single game the deep ball right it would they would they would start out the game with the deep ball or they have a couple you know Baylor I mean Puka Nakua had three or four catches of 50 plus yards against Baylor yeah you know and so we've seen the deep ball we've seen Algier all year minus two games run all over the place so it's just I think yesterday was just they needed they just needed that extra ingredient which was a bad defense yeah, and they just got what they needed to. I mean, one would have thought that Arizona or USF could have provided that kind of platform for BYU's offense, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in, in our topics that we were going to talk about today, just since we're talking about the offense. Really, I think the last couple games, including the Baylor game, even though it, it turned out as a loss, really the last couple games have 
I think solidified finally BYU's true offensive identity. I mean, really, it was the first four or five games, BYU looked like they were just kind of getting by on their offensive, on the offensive Figuring side. it out. Yeah, yeah, that's a better way. Yeah, figuring it out. Last two or three games, they found it, right? They are a pounded on the ground with a heavy dose of Tyler Algier. He had over 60 carries in the last two games combined. Um, and an explosive downfield uh, throwing air raid. This is not some, I mean, last year was the first time BYU has had this in a long time, this long, deep threat. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, Um, but it's now just kind of in their DNA. You're going to pound it on the ground, force the other team to stack the box. And then as soon as they stack the box, you're going to, you're going to throw it downfield and you're going to get it. I mean, the Nakua brothers uh, back, you know, Romney before he got hurt. Pau, I mean, they throw it to these guys downfield. Jaron throws it to these guys downfields, and they make the plays. That's it's, that's the big thing is is you have wide receivers, and it's not just one. Yeah, but you have multiple wide receivers that are going to go up and get it. Yep. And I think every year BYU's had like one of those guys, right? The Cody yeah. Hoffman's and and those kind, you know, and the Mill. Matt Bushman's, yeah. yeah, those kind of guys. But this year it seems like you can throw it to any one of those, you know, three, four guys with Isaac Rex, Gunnar Romney, both Nakua's, Neil Pau, right? Those are five targets yeah. that can go up and God, get it. And you got guys on the bench with Keanu Hill. And I mean, Keanu Hill had a great a he did. Catch last night. You, and so that's, I mean, as much as we don't like to see Gunnar Romney hurt, you're allowing no. some depth to come in there and Absolutely. make some plays. And I think the one thing I love about the receiver core in general is they're all fiery. Yes. They all have some attitude. I think so many times the, the BYU really... receivers – like we're just nice guys, and they they made the catch and they walked away. Neil Paulo has something to say to every single guy, whether it's a four yard catch or a forty yard catch. The Nakuas have so much fire. Keanu Unreal. Hill, you can just see the spirit every time he makes a big play. That dude's yeah, waiting I for love a that. breakout. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, and, totally. and I love that. And I think that's that 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 feeds into the whole core, and then it makes the quarterback want to get you the ball. Yeah, and it's so great for this offensive identity because in the past, before twenty twenty it always felt like the long plays were just kind of a throwaway play. And now we're playing and now BYU is playing behind the sticks. You know, it's like, okay, you got to at yeah, least try so to true. keep the, the defense honest. And so you, you throw it downfield a couple times. It never works, you know, and, and it always felt like a throwaway play. Oh, here we are second and 10 or whatever, you know, and it's not like that anymore. It's like, Hey, you're going to sack the box to try to stop this really good running back. who We're going to talk about later. Fine. Just give us man to man on the edge. I, I'm still just blown away that so many teams are just playing the Nakua's man to man one on one. No. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Algier is one of the best running backs in the nation. I get it. You, yeah. You, you don't really have much of a choice. Yeah, you can't afford to put four guys in the backfield, you know, four guys safety deep to try to keep this from going on. But man, anyways, the point is the identity is there. It is now we dare you to try to stop Tyler. And if you do, we're going over the top and we're going to make it. That's what this team is saying. I love the offensive identity flipping over. I mean, just kind of it's it's now kind of obligatory in every podcast. we got to talk about the defense. OK, right. So you you tweeted out earlier that it's just kind of weird that this defense never seems to have it together in the first half. But then they seem to have these miraculous kind of comebacks in the second half. 
Yeah, I, it, so the question I posed out to Twitter, and we'll get to some of the tweets here in a second, is is it more concerning that BYU can't seem to put together a game plan and or execute it in the first half? Most, it seems like most games. Most games it's, you know, they come in and the plan that they had put together isn't working, the team drives, or I, I don't know. But then in the second half, they make adjustments because we rip them apart in the first half. We say, you know, they're terrible. They're giving up a ton of yards, a ton of points especially last night, and then in the second half, like, oh. And so then it's really impressive to see them make those adjustments. I think a lot of us would like to see adjustments maybe between quarters, maybe between drives, but it does seem like at halftime those adjustments are made. Last night in particular, well, we saw probably the worst defensive performance in Lavelle Edwards Stadium history. 35 points in a single quarter. I mean, 35 points. That's until this game. That's more than BYU had scored in an entire game was scored on them in one quarter it was and with no resistance one of them was a one play drive multiple i mean we we talked about last week how byu has not given up the big play right they've always been good at not getting beat over the top or not getting you know the the lot of yaks that was completely out the window in the second quarter yeah and tackling was horrible the pursuit angles were horrible um and then you do you can't do that against a top five offense that no. was just clicking. It was so horrible. I, I'm 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 gonna just kind of um, I guess mea culpa or kind of admit that I've been a little bit wrong. I've been pretty critical of the drop eight, but it seems like the drop eight had its coming out party yesterday. Because, I think it was because of the situation. I don't well, know if it was so much like. This is what they need to do every week. No, yeah, because I, agree. I will say this, and I hate, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like the first three drives that BYU's defense in the game, by the way, had yeah. a we're, stop, an interception, and a stop. We're man right? pressed for, yeah. Four or, man. I love the four man. I love it what? too. In the second half, after the drop eight was done and BYU had kind of built that 10 point lead, they did four man again and it worked again. So I would love to see that. And I'm not saying make it your every down. I would love to see a little more mixture, I think is what yeah. I'm saying. Instead well, of cool. saying the defense knows you're going to drop eight or they know like in the second quarter, they knew you were in man and they picked you apart. I would love to see a little more mixture in the defense because I think we've seen the ability for drop eight to work. We've seen the ability for man to work. We've seen, seen the four man work. And in the first two, three games, remember BYU was blitzing a lot and bringing pressure and it was working. Yeah. So it's just like you've seen these glimpses of schemes, different parts of these schemes working how can you blend that together and make it into a good game plan obviously your opponent dictates that a lot and it is tough and obviously that's a perfect world but it's just weird because it seems like BYU is like 100% drop eight (laughs) or 100% man and it seems like then the offense is key in on that like okay well here's how we can fix that yeah I, I agree with you to a certain extent except a couple things first of all um that second quarter, at least three or four of those, whatever, six touchdowns that they scored were not schemes. It, those were not problems with schemes. Those are problems with angles and tackles. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. It was almost all, you know, that like 49 yard run, you know, just players being in the wrong spot, players taking bad angles, players losing their leverage. And, you know, and that just results in lots of yards. And it was the same with most of the most of the passing plays. It's not like they were bombing it over the top above beyond the safeties. It was, you know, drag routes across the middle. And then everybody just kind of diving, trying to make these 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 poor really angles. Bad t- like yeah. you said, yeah, exactly. it, it was Again. just a lot of poor angles. Right. So it, 
I don't think that was the point where where anyone should have just said, oh my gosh, what we're doing, playing all this man is really not working. That was just bad execution by the players. Kalani said after the game that, yeah, the first half they were running a lot of man with a lot of four-man fronts. Um, and it worked in the first two or three drives. Like you said, it worked really well. Um, but Kalani said they just don't have the depth right now to have four men on the front line. And yeah, he said, that, yeah. he said what happened was in the, and I believe it, I'm starting to come around to kind of really, I think, appreciate how undeep shallow, I guess is the word um, <laughs> <laughs> BYU is on, on both offensive and defensive lines. Um, because- uh, I think offensive line has depth and I think it's showing because right now the offensive line is really banged up too. And they yeah, ran for 380 yeah, yards. No, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll set that aside for now, but uh, the defensive line is, is has problems when you're running four men and they're yeah. running almost every, every single down, even when they're getting three and outs. Finally in the second quarter, Kalani said they just got winded. And once they start, once they wore out, you saw it. If you watch that defensive line all game, Virginia offensive line was pushing them around. I mean, they, they didn't even look like they were trying at a certain point, but by the end of the second quarter, it was just kind of like, you know, down set hike. And they just kind of stand up and kind of push and just like, (laughs) please somebody stop this because when you're, it's just, they're, they're, they're outmanned right now. And it's tough to see. It was fun in the third quarter. Once the defense got another hop in their step, you saw everyone, including the defensive linemen, their just intensity increased. They're running to the ball. They are taking better angles even. I mean, the second half, their tackling all changed. Their angles yeah. all changed. So it's, it's almost as if they all learned, oh, I need yeah. outside leverage or I need to what it. You saw it on the first drive, right? Like the first defensive drive when, when BYU stopped them and forced the punt, you saw they just wrapped up home. more. It wasn't, yeah. you know, uh, going at the ankles and the guys just out jumping them. But it was just something it was weird. changed. And I don't know if it's the. It'd be so weird. Again, It'd be this, nice to like give them that speech at the beginning of the game instead of. Yeah. Time, you know? it's, so again, this this is where and because when we we harp on people, so we need to give them credit where they're due. You got to credit the coaches. Somebody no said no something doubt. to them and said, "Hey, here's the adjustments you need to make." And then in the end, the players have to make those adjustments. But the coaches obviously brought it to their attention. Hey, you're taking bad angles here, or the assignment here, or or whatever. And the coaches made those adjustments, and the players responded. Yeah, Jay Catch said on on uh, Locked On Cougars uh, last night, uh, this morning, that he had on good authority that Kalani laid into his coaches, and I'm kind of taking from that to mean Elisa Tuiaki that no, 42 points in a Lavelle Edwards Stadium and a half is not acceptable. That's not going to happen. In the uh, that, half. that was uh, I. I don't. I don't know if anybody can come up with a worse half of co- of defensive football. Quarter. In, I mean, quarter. Right? I mean, they, they scored their yeah, first, I mean, the first, the first the quarter. The first quarter, I guess, quarter. wasn't horrible, but like, I mean, like, yeah, like, yeah, no, it was uh, I, I, I challenge Cougar Nation to go find a worse half. Not I possible. Do. BYU, the most points they've ever given up anywhere was on the road to Hawaii 72 points or 70 points, uh, 2001, right? The, the Luke Staley. Uh, I think they game. tied San Diego State 70 to 70 back in the day, too. Yeah, but yeah. Either way, 70 was the most. And when you have thir- half of that in one quarter, exactly. that's. Yeah. Okay, so point is, I'm just kind of eating my hat a little bit because they, Kwani said, yeah, we switched more to drop eight in the second half. Um, and, you know, it worked. It worked for a couple of reasons. Number one, BYU's offense kept scoring. And once they kind of kept the lead, once they got, once they jumped back in front, it's a little easier to play uh, drop eight. But that being said, um, 
here's something that I'm really wondering about. I went ahead and watched the all the Virginia possessions in the second half because I really wanted to know when Armstrong actually got injured. And because I just got a feeling, I'm, you know, I don't want to take away from what what the guys did and how well they turned around and they held this great offense to seven points in the second half. But I just kind of had a feeling that Armstrong was playing injured for a lot of that second half. It wasn't just like, you know, the end, oh, they're broken, you know, kind of like his moment where everyone was talking about his broken ribs. Yeah. I just really doubted that that was the play. This is totally a guess because, you know, I don't know. I don't have any sources on this. I watched it. And at the end of the third quarter, about four minutes on their only drive that they scored, Armstrong ran it, got hit at the end. And again, this is just me watching. From that point on, his arm angle release changed, and he was throwing sidearm for pretty much the entire rest of the game. And if you watch that interception he threw in the second half, I mean that's a full on like almost submarine sidearm he was throwing. You could well that's that second interception because the play before is when he started grimacing, right? Yes. He you because before what what was really impressive about Brandon Armstrong is his feet were always moving. He was hopping oh, right to fight. He I love that kid by the way. I love him. Yeah. So and in that interception, he was flat footed. You, I mean, yep. I saw it before he even threw it. I was like, he is no flat. He he's not moving at all. He, he looks couldn't. like a like a soft. And he was, he didn't have anybody close. I mean, he kind of yeah. rolled out a little bit on that play and created a, plenty of room. And he just flat threw it. I mean, he was trying to get it into a small window also. But yeah, but you you could just see by his lack of bounce no. in his step that it was hurting. So yeah. I I didn't I haven't watched it like you and. I, I don't know. And so there are some people in there being like, oh, that's the reason BYU had a better second. I was like, well, first of all, the, the backup came in for one drive. Yeah, but that's okay. what I'm saying is I whether feel like- he's healthy in that drive and doesn't throw an interception. I think at that point, BYU had a ton of momentum. Well, um, that that fumble, fumble, that yeah, fumble, fumble recovery. And then again, here, OK, so we're going to kind of switch it a little bit here. The a huge factor in last night's game when you have a shootout. And when BYU yet again, yet again has no turnovers, not only did they create three, they scored touchdowns on oh, all yeah. three of them. Yep. BYU has been notorious the last few years at getting turnovers and Boy, either not yep. scoring or getting field goals. Yep. And when you can in a shootout like that, you need six. And they did that <laughs> all three times. Yeah, they only even teed up one, no, two field goals the whole game, right? Two field goals. The one doink that I was convinced was going to come back because that was a Tyler Algier drop on the screen pass that probably walks into an end <laughs> touchdown. And then Jake doinks at the field goal. And I was like, oh, that though. And these I know. Three, I was like, oh, that's what those are the ones that come back to haunt you. I tell you, man, as soon as he dropped that, I was like, oh, man, this better not come to back. I mean, so it turned out OK. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's 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 it was this game was a really interesting uh test case or um case study in how the symbiotic relationship between the offense and the defense really really matters we've been talking about it for a long time right time of possession and all those types of kind of stats that everyone wants to argue about the fact of the matter in the third quarter byu kept their defense off the field by just Keeping the offense on the field. Oh, but Andy, I've been told that time of possession means absolutely <laughs> nothing. I know. In a yeah. football game. No, I, I, it's just I a meaningless think, stat. I do think time of possession in the cumulative, like, you know, just look at eight games and what's BYU's average time of possession. I think that could tell you a lot of different things. You could just have a really good offense. You know, Here, BYU here's what it is about time of possession. It's not a in, it's not like a game predictor. I don't think right. you can look at time of possession and say, oh, hey, if you win a time of possession, you're going to win this amount right. of times. No, 
time of possession is a very game by game basis. Right. Right. In this game, time of possession means a completely different. It still means something. It tells you that's the thing is. And I think this is where people oh, give me the data points and stuff. It's like, no, data points are when you take cumulative. But time of possession is a game by game thing. Time of possession in a shootout is different than the time of possession against Army, Navy and Air Force. Right. Well, and I think what time of possession tells you with BYU this year is it tells you how long the defense is on the field. And and that's important, right? They that's almost lost or they almost, you know, they came, they barely beat USF because they couldn't get off the field. You know, they couldn't come back against Boise State. They couldn't come come back from all those turnovers because the defense couldn't get off the field. They couldn't beat Baylor because the defense couldn't. Can, I mean, Baylor was just better, you know, but still, you know, the, the, the time yeah, possession, it just tells you something about the way the team is playing. But the point is in the second half, if you, if you watch the second half, BYU's offense stayed on the field. Even when they were kind of, you know, throwing long bombs and stuff, they were taking their time. They were using every every second. They were trying to make make the possessions last a long time, you know. And then the fumble comes on a very first play of Virginia's uh, first or second, uh, I think second, yeah, because they, they forced the three and out. BYU scores. And then Virginia comes back out. Very first play, cause a fumble. Defense gets another rest. I mean, that's huge. For this defense that is just so banged up, um, it's it's huge. And so the second half, I think Virginia only even got the ball like three or four times. If I count, I think they got it four, maybe five times because the first drive they they punted, then I and BYU scored their first drive, then Virginia punted, and then BYU I think punted, and then I think UVA went down and scored, and then I think we trade. So I think they had about four possessions in the second half. You had two turnovers, you had a punt, and then you no they had five, so you had. A score, punt, well, I'm two turnovers, it. and then the last possession of the game. So five five possessions in the second. Yeah, punt, Virginia punt, touchdown, fumble, INT, and then turnover and downs. Right. Yeah. So, but but the last possession was kind of meaningless, right? They were down 17 points already with what three minutes left or two minutes two minutes left. So the point is they they only had four meaningful possessions in the whole second half, and what that meant was BYU got to BYU's offense got to do a favor for the defense. And that's huge with this defense. They need every second on the bench that they can get. I think it even meant a lot that BYU got the ball in the second half because they got to go rest during halftime and then rest for, you know, how long did that, that first, that after uh, it was one minute and 52 seconds, (laughs) a minute, 52 seconds, but still, you know, that's still a minute. 52 seconds is 10, 12. Then the defense came on the field with a lead. And that's With a completely lead, different. You can be a little bit. Now, I don't think it would have changed things, but still now you have a lead and you just have and that just feels better. And then you got to stop and then BYU. And then the third quarter was one surprisingly quick and two, both defenses, I think, made some adjustments. But then the fourth quarter is where BYU warmed down. Yeah, I mean, the turnovers are huge uh, and I'm just kind of coming around. I mean, I'm not going to like lead the Elisa Tuiaki fan club or anything, but. I'm kind of coming around to the analytics behind this philosophy. And the philosophy is just in the long run. If we have the personnel that we feel confident can hold on to the ball, right? We don't have, I mean, I love Max Hall, but I mean, he's a Brett Favre style gunslinger. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to play this kind of game with a Max Hall style quarterback because he's just going to throw it all over the place. You have a Jaron Hall style quarterback who can make things happen and is not going to make bad decisions. Almost all of his interceptions he's made have either been in garbage time or kind of like 
trying to steal points, right? At yeah. the end of the yeah. you know, second quarter. And, and, and even play. once he hasn't thrown interceptions, he doesn't put the ball in danger very yeah. often. Yeah, so the point is, the philosophy is coming around on me. The analytics of it are, look, we got the personnel between Tyler Argier, uh, you know, uh, and, and the offensive line and Jaron Hall, the guys who are going to be touching the ball the most in kind of turnover risky situations aren't going to turn the ball over. And then on the other side, we're going to just kind of let you play let you have 14 plays per, per drive and hope you make mistakes. And it's just working. BYU's like top 15. So I think maybe even top 10 in turnover margin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like in the long run, it works. It just gets frustrating when it starts biting you in the butt every once in a yeah. while. You know? Turnover margin. Okay. So here's what I have to say about turnover margin. Cause everybody's like, Oh, the defense is, you know, 10th in the country in turnover margin. Well, that's not a defensive statistic. Really, what that's saying is our offense doesn't turn over the ball. And even so, BYU, I would love to see just, I can't, I I would go look it up here in a second, what BYU's offensive turnovers are ranked in the country because they only have, it's very, very low. Seven in the whole year, right? Because you have the four fumbles against Boise State. Jaron Hall has three interceptions. That's seven. That's all the turnovers I think they might have on the year. Maybe a couple, no. Anyways, they don't have a lot. But it's not like the defense is is turning it over five, six, seven times. Now, yesterday they had three, a couple other games they had a couple. But so I don't want to just sit here and say turnover margin is a defensive statistic that tells you this defense is a ball hawking defense because it's really it's, it's a, a it's combined both. stat. Yeah, and, no, and it's, it's in BYU's case, it's heavily in favor because the offense doesn't turn the ball over. Right. BYU is tied for 17th in the country on turnovers lost with only seven on the entire year. And the number That's one crazy. is Number one in the entire country is uh, Coastal Carolina with four. So they're not that far off, right, from, really the, from the top. So, uh, yeah, for, for how many points Coastal Carolina puts up to only have four turnovers is crazy. Anyways, That's point is, um, it's both. It, it, the turnover margin stat is designed, I think, to be a little bit more of a holistic stat. And it works with this team because the offense doesn't turn it over. And then the defense is patient enough and keeps things from going long. You know, we've talked about this philosophy a thousand times, but in the long run, it's working. You know, you run into a buzzsaw against a very good Baylor team who very well might be going to a new year's six game. Heck they could win. They could still win the big 12. They really could. Um, And you just kind of were at the mercy of odd game against Boise state uh, where it didn't work. Otherwise, you know, this is kind of the Utah playbook. This is yeah. what when Kalani came to BYU, he said, "How does Utah win a lot of games? They go, they don't turn the ball over, and they fly around on defense and and cause a lot of chaos." Now BYU is not causing a lot of chaos on defense, no, no. but you know they got some ball hawks. You know, talk about Malik Moore, Peyton Wilgar. You got guys like that 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 like that can kind of ball hawk it. Anyways, point is, I'm just kind of coming around a little bit. I still want them to be creative. Put more. They got to find a way to get pressure. They don't have the men to get so pressure bad. right now. Yeah. Even the times that they spent, they sent four or five guys. It really wasn't getting to it. The only sack, I think they had two sacks, and they're pretty much both covered sacks. They had one sack per official stats. They had one sack. Uh, fair enough. And I remember it was a covered sack. It was like Armstrong Absolutely. running around looking, looking, looking. <laughs> it was like eight seconds before they finally got him down. Uh, point is. The 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 philosophy is coming around, but we got to move on. We don't need to talk about the defense every single day. It's time to talk. Well, when about... you give up thirty five points in the quarter, they need to be talked about. <laughs> that is true, but we need to move on now to 
the craziest thing to me is that Tyler Argier now holds the single game record at BYU for most yards in a game, 266. Two against games, the P5. Against the P5. Two games in a row with over 200 yards. The guy's a beast, and now he is on track to beat Luke Staley's single-season game record. And that just blows my mind. We are on record for years here that we are huge Luke Staley fans, like unreal Luke Staley fans. Before the show, Aaron and I were reminiscing that next month is the 20-year anniversary from when we were at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, when Luke Staley ran right by us. We were right on the sideline that he ran by us in U- against Utah to win that game in 2001. Um, it it blows my mind that Tyler Argier is at that status. I mean, that was a Doke Walker season, Aaron. A Doke Walker season. Well, so not only is that if he and he only needs to average, I think it was 112 yards yeah. over the next four games, and that and so that includes the bowl game. That's right? chump Which, change for him. Yeah. Now <laughs> the next two games he might not play very much, but. They're going to get him his, man. What they're they're going to get him 100 yards each of those games. <laughs> what makes it that much more impressive is that he's done it against this year's schedule. Yep. You know, everything last year was, oh, you know, you're playing Texas State and you're playing Louisiana Tech, where last year, okay, let's look at his stats last year, okay? Last year, in all of 2020, okay, he had 150 carries for 1,100 yards, a little over 1,100, and 13 touchdowns. That's a fantastic season. That's a, a 7.5 yards per carry, by the Unreal. way. Unreal. Okay? So far in 2021, through nine games, he has 197 carries, so he already has dang near 50 more carries, thir- 1,132 yards, so two more yards than all of last year. Nine games in. 16 yeah. touchdowns, okay? And this is against, so far, six power fives. Yeah. Okay? And that's that's crazy. And Tyler Algier has been the uh, a running back at BYU for basically one and three-quarter seasons. Now, he had a few carries in 19 and 18, but those were like when BYU had no running backs and he had yeah, to come over from linebacker. I don't really – I mean, he totaled up 160 yards in those other two years total. So, yeah. in less than two years, he is in top 10 in yards, top 10 in touchdowns, is approaching the single-season rushing record, and is approaching just like all of these numbers. They were just like – What? No, he, you're getting to Luke Staley and – Jamal Williams and Jamal Willis. Like these, these are guys that are in BYU lore. Yeah, These are legends. Legends. Like Harvey Unga, like Curtis Brown. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, no, it's just, and here's the, he's just so unassuming. Like he's, he, he's, he's not humongous. I mean, he's definitely a strong dude. I mean, he's hauling guys around the field, but he's, he's not super tall or super built you know he's not luke staley i mean like i just remember watching luke staley and being like how can anybody tackle this guy he's a freaking freak of nature running around that field you know and same with harvey Ungland. you know like you saw him and you're like i wouldn't ever want to stand in the way of that guy when he's running full steam and jamal williams even he especially as he got older and when he wasn't a 17 year old anymore you know he put on the pounds and he was a bruising running back and you just kind of look at Tyler Argier, and I'm like, he looks like a linebacker running the ball. And then personality-wise, he's just so unassuming. You know, yeah. he, you know, he drops an F-bomb on BYU to everyone TV every once in a while on accident, but 
Did which I love, that? by the way. I'm okay <laughs> with that. I, I, for the record, I love that he is not LDS. He's Catholic. Yeah. He's and he, he, like you said, unassuming is a really good word for him. Now, I think he's a little more physically intimidating than I think you're giving him. Yeah, no, I'm kind of exaggerating. Yeah, and also, but overall, I, I get what you're saying. Like he, and and when you look at the the Boise State and Baylor game, right? When obviously they knew that they wanted to pound Tyler, and they took it away, and then there was the fumbles, and then mm-hmm. Baylor was just obviously very good, um, and then he responded to the challenge. He, okay, another record Tyler Algier has set. He has the most rushing yards through in a two-game span yep. and of any BYU running back in history. He beat out Jamal, Jamal Williams, Williams against West, West Virginia, Virginia and Toledo, Toledo, who had 455 <laughs> yards, and Algier against Washington State yep. and Virginia. So two P5s, not just yeah. one, yeah. has 457, which, by the way, in those last two games, he has nine touchdowns. In the I, no, last that's two games. No, it's sorry, unreal. eight. I think, yeah, they only had, yeah, he had three. Maybe I'll was, have to look it up. I'm not sure. I can't remember what he had, he had against, against Washington. For some reason, against, either way, he has six or seven touchdowns. And so, just what, so we talk about the legacy of Tyler Algier. And one, I think it's his story is awesome. You got to love the, the walk on stories. He had two touchdowns. Working at Walmart. Okay, so seven touchdowns over two games. Sorry, just that's still seven. Yeah, just seven. Um, his story is amazing. Oh yeah, the Walmart. He's quickly running it up. Last year was not a fluke, right? Yep. It's it's really really amazing. And I mean, honestly, he could probably not carry the ball one more time, and he'll go down in lore just because of the play against Arizona State. Oh, that's oh, I I mean, that seems like forever ago. No, yeah, that that's an iconic, right? That's like a top ten BYU. Moment. That that is his his number one play of his career could end right, right now. Then I think the number two play is probably the eighty six yard run on the Smurf turf last year. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, oh, be. and then you know what? Probably that dive against Navy last year, the beginning of the COVID year, the first touchdown that he comes around the corner and has F cancer on his cleats. Oh god, right? That's so he's got some great moments, and you know, okay, I just have one request. Can Tyler Algier just stop wearing a long T-shirt <laughs> under his jersey? Because every single game, a guy rips that jersey and holds onto it, and he just drags him a few he yards. He drags him, but it slows but him like, down a little it's bit. It's like, yeah. bro, like just lose the shirt, and you're probably going to go 10 more yards yeah. before somebody touches you. I mean, Pull on. Samson and tuck it up and show the belly like Exactly, yeah. yeah. Show it all off. <laughs> the 80s style. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you. So, look, I'm selfish, and I want Algier to stay, right? But it's just a guy like him and not guy. I don't want to say a guy like him, but you know, it's just, you feel even more strongly that someone who comes up as a walk on and kind of that kind of background, the prospect of getting drafted in the NFL is just too much. You know, it's just too much. And it's too much for just about anybody. It's very rare that you're so good that, that, not, that you're in a position that, Oh, I'm going to get drafted this year, but I'm going to stay one more year. You know, Matt Bushman yeah. was kind of in that position, but it was yeah. mostly injuries and stuff. Anyways, I'm just so selfish because it's it's really fun to think about next year with Jaron Hall, Tyler Algier, Puka Nakua, Gunner. I think has one more year. Uh, you know, just the the skill positions on the offense, and now that they're now that you see what they can do in a groove. Now that they're you know nine games in, I feel like this offense is clicking. It's just so fun to think about next year all of them playing together again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Because I mean, don't forget BYU's schedule next year. If, if any schedules and independent schedule 
is going to set you up and, and, and give you a chance with a really talented team to do something just unbelievably special, it's next year's schedule, right? When you talk about Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Boise State, Stanford, right? I mean, like, you, if the defense can come along and this offense can keep clicking like it is, I mean, it's hard not to kind of say something could happen next year. You know yeah. what I mean? Because nobody thought this year could happen. No, this, this nobody year, did. This no. year is still like an apparition. Like everybody's like, we we were going to be cool with like eight and four. Yeah, like eight and five. And, you know, yeah, eight and five with bowl game. Well, eight mm-hmm. and five probably. Would, but either way, the fact that BYU is sitting at seven and two is five and one with, against P fives with beating Utah with sophomores the all over the place coming up. Yeah, yeah. New coordinator. Put quotations around that, however you want. Sure. But like, you know, lose like, Eric Mateos. I mean, you cannot overstate how yeah, good Eric Mateos. Yeah, is. yeah. You you lose your court. There's and obviously there's never, no re, so no logical person out here thought that BYU no. was going to be anywhere remotely where they are, and so I mean we've been adjusting expectations all over the place, and this kind of leads to our our kind of our last individual we need to highlight is like is there any reason for anybody to be critical of Jaron Hall anymore? I mean, he, he again, I mean like unassuming is just a, a, the word. I he's just so quiet and just gets the job done. And it's almost like he's, he, it feels like he's a game manager, but then you look at his stats and you're like, you threw for whatever, 60% completion for 350 yards and two or three touchdowns and your QB rating and passer rating is like off the charts. Like, Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. And three of the last forget. four games, he threw for over 300 yards yeah, and five touchdowns and only one interception in the last four games. Now, <laughs> he's not throwing a lot of touchdowns because guess what? He's got a running back who's scoring nine touchdowns, you know, like he doesn't have to. Yeah. That's not where this offense is. You know, he's throwing 60 plus percent right around hovering in that area. And then again, 300 yards in three of the last four. Now, interesting part about those 300 yard games, two of those were in losses. So he had to be throwing it a lot more. True. And then one was in a shootout where he had to throw a lot more. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't care what the circumstances are. The point is he's capable and he's capable because he has great receivers, right? Yeah. Receivers and he's smart. And tight ends and, and, and he's smart. Yes. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. So it's, um, it's, it, I don't know why anybody can be critical of Jaron Hall. The only thing that one could be critical of is why they don't call him to run it a little bit more. Well, and they did, they, this and they, game, they did, they did, they did. A little more. but even that, I mean, like he, I think there was probably only like four design runs and the other ones were him breaking down. Okay. I'm going to go break contain. Yeah, and there, run. Were, there were four or five designed runs. And I got to say that a couple weeks ago when everyone was complaining that he underthrew Puka a couple times, like that didn't, that's not happening, man. He was hooking it down the field right into the breadbasket of everyone. You know what I mean? His downfield play is, I think, really what's making him stand out the most that we almost take for granted now, right? We have a season of Zach Wilson, and then now over half of the season of kind of BYU throwing the bomb, and now everyone just kind of takes that for granted. Exactly. That's what I mean. Completing the bomb. It's crazy, and you you mentioned this earlier in the show. Like, I would love to see BYU's completion percentage on throws of 40 to 50 yards downfield. Yeah, I've seen like, I know they had a couple overthrows last night, but like overall, it's crazy effective. And mm-hmm. like, here's what's, and part of this is a huge props to Jaron is 
he's incredible, almost aggravatingly to a fan as you're watching, like does not put the ball in harm's way that if that ball downfield is not open, my guy or nobody. Yep. He's like, okay, I'm going to tuck it or I'm going to overthrow my out route, you know, or something like that. Like he whereas in years past, you know, you overthrow the long ball and there's a safety lurking and he picks it off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And this is what you alluded to earlier. He just doesn't do that. And then, like you said, when you have a running back, you got to bring that linebacker or safety down. which there's a lot more one-on-one coverage and BYU has receivers to beat that coverage. So it's a perfect storm. And Jaron Hall isn't Zach Wilson. I still think Zach Wilson is miles ahead of that. And I'm, this is, that's not a knock on Jaron Hall, but Jaron Hall has shown he he's 100% worthy of being the starter. I don't think there should ever be a controversy. I think we all just were sick of losing is what it was is why wow. Jaron Hall, you know, you lose to, ba- uh, to Boise state and then you lose to, I guess Boise state was Jaron and right after his first game back. Right. So I think that's where the critics started coming out is when you lose, Oh, it's automatically the quarterback's fault. It's like, well, guess what? He didn't fumble it three times yeah. and, you know, and stuff. So it's always, he, there's easy no to reason say, for Jaron Hall to have a critic right now. He, he's when, the guy and he's going to be fun to watch for as long as he stays. Yeah. I think most critics, and I even put it on Twitter on Twitter and multiple people tweeted back said, Hey, I've been a Jaron critic, but he's, he's, he's converting me, you know, and it's just so much easier to be critical of the starting quarterback when you have a really good backup. Right. Baylor Romney's very capable. Very fair. Very fair. Yeah. So uh, look, so let's finish out and talk about the future again of BYU football. They I (laughs) they come in at 17 in the AP poll today. And I was I I really thought I know that there was chaos, right? Especially at the bottom of the rankings. You know, lots of teams losing. I did not see the committee or not the committee. I did not see the voters putting BYU above teams with i felt like a little bit more marquee wins like iowa and kentucky two loss you know a lot of these two loss uh p5 teams i think byu not only benefited from all the chaos that happened in in the rankings yesterday but i think they really benefited from a late night game where they were the only spotlight and it was kind of like one of those things where everyone was kind of tuning in you know Everyone's tweeting out like, oh, hey, UVA just scored 35 points in a quarter. You know, Scott Van Pelt is tweeting out about it and KVN is tweeting about it. <coughs> it They benefited from being in the spotlight. Now I know that Utah was playing in the same the same time slot yeah, over on ESPN. One. This might be the worst Pac-12 of all time. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's so much the highlighting as is. I think uh, you wake up and you see they scored 66 points against a power, a, a good Virginia A good power five team. team. Yeah, a it's power not like team that is competing for It's not Arizona, for right? It's not Kansas. It's yeah. not Vanderbilt. It's like, no, this is a team that's competing for the Coastal Division and the ACC title. And you yeah, let's talk about 66 that. on them. Let's talk about that. There is still a very greater than 0% chance that BYU finishes this season with wins over the ACC and Pac-12 champs. Like, I know Oregon's probably going to run away with it, so there's that. But let's just say it like this. There's a very good chance BYU could come away with wins against two divisional champs in P5 conferences. If, if, If Armstrong is able to get healthy, he has a bye week coming up, if Brandon Armstrong can get healthy and beat Pitt, they're they're the coastal champs basically, and I, I mean I don't know does the Notre Dame game count as a conference loss? No, I always no, that forget. was just last year, so this year it's a non, it's considered a non-con game. Okay, so yeah, so they just got to beat Pitt, like, and they're the coastal champs. And Utah is 
they're 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 writing their own destiny right now and they're kind of i mean they lost to oregon state a couple weeks ago but utah is looking good um in a bad Pac-12, let's in a bad Pac-12, but I mean, still. But either way, your point it's a cool stands point. that BYU. The, I mean, ironically, those are two not very great conferences here in the ACC Pac-12. But the point stands that you're going to beat division champs, and then which means that you might defeat conference champs. I mean, there's always a chance, yeah. right? I mean, like Oregon dropped one to Stanford, who's three and four or something like that. Yeah. So the point is, BYU's coming in, and they're not only playing the Arizonas of the P5s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. So. It's it's a cool thing. Last question before we go. <laughs> BYU they've been they've been roller coaster right. They've been all the way up into the top ten. They've dropped out of the top twenty five, and now they're back into the number seventeen. So, okay. Th- last two questions. First question: Where if BYU wins out, and I know this so much depends on what happens around them. Where's their ceiling? We ask this every week. Where's their ceiling? How high can they be ranked? From at, a rankings perspective, at and are ten you- and two with wins over you know you, you know USC, Arizona State, Utah, UVA. Uh, what's their ceiling? I feel like top fifteen is probably like maybe. And now, are you talking like the playoff committee? Or are you talking a people? I'm talking a people. My next questions okay. are going to be about the. the okay, the well playoff. then I'll just answer them both. I think a people their ceiling is is quite obviously within the top 15 if right now after falling out and within two weeks you're back at number 17 and again there's a lot of chaos but still you have to take care of yourself and you have to win those games including one on the road and including a shootout right in two totally different style games by the way completely yeah. different games yeah um so the a people yeah you went out i think you absolutely can secure a, a top 15 and it's hard to say anything about the college football playoff since we don't know that until tuesday but it's going to be interesting to see what they grade them because, you know, BYU last year came in and they were super lowly, uh, lower ranked than we considered them where they should have been given they were undefeated. But they obviously put a huge amount of weight in their schedule last yeah. year. Well, this year you don't have that argument. This year yeah. BYU's got one of the best records against P5s in the entire freaking country. Yeah, and they have multiple wins against P5s with winning records. And right, and so know. I think I think to, it's hard to answer that second part, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that if BYU wins out, therefore meaning they've gone six and one against P5, likely wins against uh, divisional champs, or you know, again, like you said, winning P5 programs, um, there's no reason the the committee can really honestly sit here and say that they're not a top 15 team as well if they win out. Yeah, I think 15 is is pretty easy. I mean, it it only takes one or two losses above you to kind of to kind of slip in there. Um, I think you you have a hard time getting much higher than that only because moving forward as we go into November, most of the games left on a lot of the kind of top 10, 11, 12 left are all against each other. You know, yeah, you got a lot yeah. of... So they're not going to fall a ton. Yeah, yeah. Michigan's not going to fall a ton if they lose to Ohio State and vice versa. You know, Alabama, who does Alabama, does Alabama play Georgia? No, they don't They'll play, play them in the championship. game. They'll play them in the championship game. And, you know, the loser will be number three in the polls, you know, <laughs> and like so it, it's it's like top 10. I don't see a lot of movement happening unless, you know, if Oregon loses another head scratcher or uh, you know, Oklahoma State could slip, Auburn could slip, Texas A&M certainly could slip. Um, there's a, there's there's a handful of one and two lost teams above BYU that still you know with a loss 
could definitely catapult BYU up. I would say in the AP, I think they're just max top is like 12 or 13. And that's with a yeah. lot of chaos. Yeah, I think that's probably fairly accurate. Right. Now, with that said, I mean, in the Big Ten alone, you've got Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, right there, right above them all in the top 10, right? Yeah. Like you said, Michigan and Michigan State already played. Michigan and Ohio State are going to play. Yep. And um, I think Michigan State still plays like Wisconsin or something. Yeah, so I think there's there's like you said there's some cannibalism going on. I think I think the AP poll I think because of all of that nature that can go on there, um, I think there's potential BYU could crack top ten. I don't think it's a high yeah. likelihood, but yeah. I think I think if there's enough, I mean Wake Forest is eight and no, but do we really think now? Let, let's Wake Forest is an interesting case study because look, look at Kentucky right two year two weeks ago Kentucky was top ten and yeah. now they've lost two yeah. right. Wake Forest, okay, they still have to play North Carolina at North Carolina, who was a preseason top 10. They and who has a great that. offense. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You got NC State, who was a giant slayer in beating, in beating Clemson, and mm-hmm. they've got other – NC State, this is kind of like that sneaky team that can yep. do something. You have Clemson. Sure, it's not the Clemson. Yeah, but it's Clemson. Form, but it's still Lots Clemson. Five stars there, yep. And then Boston College, yep. right? So it's like Wake Forest. Do we really think Wake Forest is a top 10 team? I, I just don't see Wake Forest running that schedule. So I think there's enough chaos that BYU could crack the top 10. I would not bet anything on that. I would want insanely high odds on that. But I think yeah. the AP poll, there's potential there. I just don't think the college football playoff committee is going to say, hey, we're going to have two non-P5s in the top 10 at the end of the year, right? Because obviously Cincinnati, right. barring catastrophe, is going to be up there. So I, I the college football playoff will, will learn a ton on Tuesday about the answer to that question because BYU is at five and one against power fives. Yeah. Quick. What does that, what does that mean to them? Yep. And I think you're right that they're not going to be comfortable having, they would never be comfortable having more than one non P five in the top 12, really, because that's really kind of your magic number when it comes to like New Year's six kind of projections and stuff. And even though they say it's a blank slate every week and we revote and rehash horse everything manure. Out, yeah, you know they're looking at last week's votes and kind of like, you know, horse trading and figuring out who, you know, who won and who lost. So, uh yeah, college football I I fully expect BYU to be like 20, 21 in the college football playoff and frankly I, I, was thinking, yeah. I expect Cincinnati to be like 5 or 6. Yeah, I, I expect Cincinnati to be screwed. Now, in fairness, Cincinnati has really kind of like one feather in their cap this year and that's Notre Dame now they, yeah. but they came in highly ranked in last year so well and they beat that, yeah. and they beat Indiana but remember Indiana was kind of that's like right they were last year, ranked in Indiana. Now, Indiana yeah, it yeah. didn't end up being very good again so at I mean, the time yeah Cincinnati is rooting almost as hard for themselves as they're rooting for Notre Dame right Notre Dame wins out and suddenly like how do you keep Cincinnati out of the playoff right when they win at Notre Dame it was at Notre Dame right um, how do you how do you keep them out? Uh, but you know, if Notre Dame slips up against Virginia or uh, Clemson or whoever else they're still playing, um, then you know that's all the committee would need to just throw them down to five, six, or seven. I fully expect them to put the kind of flag in the in the sand on Tuesday and just kind of say, "This is where we think you are," and you're just going to take and it's going to be yeah. five or six, you yeah. know, because you know, I mean. You got undefeated Oklahoma. You got Alabama with one loss to a Texas A&M team that's looking better recently. You know, Ohio State's only losses to Oregon. Michigan looked dominant, and they 
one on you know down the, on a wire. I could see them putting Michigan State honestly in the top four. You know, after it, that, I think there's Michigan. every reason. Yeah, there's a lot of people wondering why Oklahoma's ranked. Ahead I still can't this. figure it out. Oklahoma, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma it's, sucks it's, in the playoffs. Every it's year. where they pre, it's where they started preseason, right? Yeah. It's so, started in the top five. But I think I do expect BYU to hover in that twenty range, plus or minus two. Yeah, I, I think I think if BYU was lower than twenty three, I'd be a little upset, and anything above like eighteen, I'd be insanely happy with. And so here's the thing: like, if the voters wouldn't have been dumb and increased my hopes and put them at 17. I totally expected BYU to come out at like 19 or 20. Yeah. And since they're at 17, now I've been anchored there. And I'm going to be pissed if the college football committee puts them anywhere below 17. They're going to be 18 and Andy's going to have riots. <laughs> it's going to, there's going to be heck to pay as they say in these parts. Uh, no. So that's fun. I, I actually really like the, the prospect of, since BYU is out of the New Year's Six, I know I said I said like five minutes ago that I only had two more questions, but um, I, we've talked about this before. The prospect of BYU actually being able to play you, you an undefeated, highly ranked UTSA team in in the Independence Bowl is about the best you could possibly ask for given the circumstances. Right in and, that bowl, in that bowl contract. Yeah, there's no other way it could have turned yeah. out. Possibly. There's been some chat by Brett McMurphy and others saying that ESPN still technically has kind of the rights to kind of do a bunch of horse training at the end of the season and put BYU somewhere else if they want. But if you're talking about the Independence Bowl and they just want to keep them in that spot, well, that's also good for ESPN if if UTSA is undefeated or ten and one or whatever and wins CUSA and it's like, hey, like that's. Yeah, that's a top twenty-five matchup. Why would they not want that? And then what would be what would truly yeah. be the benefit of moving BYU? Would you rather see a top twenty-five matchup? Sure, it's UTSA versus BYU, or would you rather see BYU versus, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just um, if you can find a better story. You know, Virginia you know. Tech in the blah 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 bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think it, 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 who knows? ESPN has all the, the analytics. That they're worried about that, but it's a great idea, right? Because if BYU's ten and two, ranked fourteen or fifteen, and UTSA is say 13 and 0, you know, they're the CUSA champs ranked, you know, again, also 11 or 12, 13, 14 or whatever. Suddenly, suddenly as a BYU fan, you're going, you win this game, get a little chaos. And the top 10 finish is like not totally out of the picture. So anyways, I'm going to, I'm, I'm placing some crazy hope in people's minds, but you know, I was on record a couple weeks ago saying it's, you know, near six or bust. And it was frustrating to see those losses come the way they did. But things are shaping up now to where beat USC. I don't care if they're down here, their brand. Beat USC, beat a ranked team in the Independence Bowl. And that's, again, huge momentum going into next year. You never know. You never know. Okay. Well, I think we went over our time, Aaron. Lots to talk about after that crazy, crazy game. I mean, okay, real quick. Greg One more Rubel, question, he says. I know this is not a question, but Greg Rubel tweeted out BYU finished started the game on a 21 to nothing, uh, 21 to nothing run and finished the game on a 21 to nothing run. And guess what? There were still 25 points in between that, or no, 24 <laughs> points in between that. Oh my god, like that's I don't know what's cr- okay. Uh, let, here's another crazy stat that I, I looked at BYU ran 83 plays, which by the way is a season high. Yeah, oh, by 40, far, I'm sure. 40% of those plays were first downs, unreal. 10.8% of those were touchdowns. Yeah, unreal. Like, that's just, that's, 
not normal. Yeah, one That's out of every ten. Defense. Okay, one out of every ten plays is a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, a couple weeks ago, it was like one out of every ten plays was a punt. It felt like, but yeah, no. Look, it was crazy game, crazy game. So happy to see Bronco back. So happy that he gave us a win. Crazy that it was BYU's six hundredth win, and um, Bronco had ninety nine wins. And I saw a funny tweet that says. He gave B- gave BYU his hundredth win there. He got BYU the hundredth win. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Thanks everyone for joining us. Joining us, we are the Sports Bros. This is the Sports Bros podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Bros on Anchor.fm. You can like and subscribe us anywhere you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, anywhere really. Um, please make sure to like and subscribe, and uh, you know leave a review. That helps us increase our audience. So, um, Aaron, we got to go, but any last words before we take off? Yeah, I got to go get my dad tax of my kids' candies and get it all rounded up right now before they wake up, and then I'll be good to go. The dad tax is real. All right? Go Cougs.